So I've got to ask, what matters most to you? For me, it's my wife who's standing right here in the studio. We'll be talking about what matters most up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. On the eve of the second presidential debate, all expectations are for President Barack Obama to be far more aggressive tomorrow night than he was during the last debate. Ever since the challenger Mitt Romney took control of that exchange two weeks ago, the lead the president had in the polls has essentially been wiped out. The president is looking to regain the momentum in the race and address voters directly in the town hall-style debate. He is expected to focus a lot of time on his economic policy, which consists of tax hikes for the wealthy and tax breaks for the middle class. Mitt Romney's tax plan is for across-the-board cuts, and both candidates have voiced strong opinions about which strategy will better address the nation's debt problems. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a a case regarding Arizona's voter ID law that would require people to prove U.S. citizenship in order to vote in a federal election. The court will not be hearing any arguments before the November 6th presidential election, so the law will not be in effect this time around. This is one of many state-level laws passed around the country by Republicans that many Democratic leaders are challenging. The Democrats say these laws are meant to block groups that would normally tend to vote for them. Republican backers are pushing these laws under the premise that they are important in stopping people from fraudulently casting ballots. Efforts to try five Guantanamo Bay prisoners accused of helping to plan and support the 9-11 attacks that killed nearly 3,000 Americans resumed today after months of delay. Previous preliminary hearings had to deal with frequent outbursts from the accused men and constant refusals to cooperate with the judges' requests. Today's hearings showed a stark difference from all five men acting politely and calmly answering questions during the proceedings. Among them is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is presumed to be the mastermind behind the tragic attack. The others are all suspected to have assisted the hijackers in planning and financial backing. If convicted, all five of these men could face the death penalty. Four of the largest U.S. manufacturing companies unveiled plans to form a group dedicated to helping train and employ veterans in the manufacturing sector today. The Get Skills to Work Coalition will kick off by training 15,000 veterans and finding them jobs among the four companies' ranks or in other suitable positions. A recent study showed that around 600,000 manufacturing jobs have gone unfilled in the U.S. due to a lack of properly skilled workers. This program will help to train, turn military training into relevant workforce skills to help fill the need for skilled labor and give veterans a viable civilian career option. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you a leg up in life, to try to figure out what goes where, how to manage your life to the healthiest, most fullest way possible. Welcome to the program. 
And, uh, you know, of course, we've got a killer show for you. We got the whole gang of misfits. We still need a better name. So, Bryce, will you? I'm going to task you to find a better name for you than the misfits. Okay. Even if it fits, I want a better one. (laughs) Okay. I'll make sure to find the worst, you know, adjective I can find. Or not Uh, adjective. Yeah. uh, Whatever. uh, Just the worst connotation ever. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, yeah, an alliteration would be nice, too. Okay. Some Matt's something. You're serious about alliteration, though. We could just as easily change your name. Yeah. That could open up all kinds of possibilities. Yeah. We could be the... Uh, that's twice as many possibilities. BYU you know, Radio Boys with their host... Billy Bob. Bill Townsend. I'm kind know. of vested in my name. I mean, so far. <laughs> you know what I mean? So here's the deal. Uh, I don't know if you noticed. It's getting colder yeah, here in Utah. It is. And the mice are coming in. The mice. So at our house, when was it? Saturday night. Uh, was it a Friday night? My wife saw a mouse and was really mad, like ticked that the mice are coming in. Well, they, they came over without asking, you know, yeah. without asking for mom's like they permission. They didn't ask. They just showed up. Just, so like she relatives. saw this mouse in the garage and then she basically said, look, you get the traps set. So we're going to set some traps. And I had... Two traps, the spring traps that like decapitate the mice. And then we had a sticky trap that they just that just rolls them into a stick stuck up little ball of mouseness. Oh, they have to suffer even more in that one. Yep, but that one's the one that works. Isn't there one isn't there one that's like a vacuum tube that takes sucks them, them to outside? Heaven? No, no. They just take uh, get, just get them outside. Yeah, no. A humane they don't have trap. That one. No, they don't have that one. They have a cat. Yeah, okay, a lot of cats that, won't eat the mouse. I'm Let's cool with that. That's that circle of life. I'm all right. A lot of them don't even know what to do with mice. But I'm allergic to cats. So instead, uh, the trap was easier. Yes. So yeah. we did it and um, went to bed. No big deal. She, like, wasn't resting all night thinking it's horrible that these mice are around. The mice weren't even in the house. They were in the garage. Right? And so, in fact, we really ought to get her on the microphone here. Mart, come join us because this involves you. And um, so we're sitting there. Namard, you love mice. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> you don't? Is that why you're freaking out? Um, yeah, I was not happy at all. It ran across the floor of the garage, and yeah, I wanted it gone. What was his name? <laughs> um, we didn't name it. I didn't want to name it. <laughs> why? It, you didn't want to get attached. I just, yeah, exactly. I didn't want to bond. Depersonalize. By the way, he was a very cute mouse. Very cute. Tiny. Really, by my standards. And um, that night we went to bed. No big deal. She had to wake up early to drive one of our sons to an early football game where you have to drop him off like an hour early. And she woke me up about, I don't know, quarter to seven saying, you got to get out there. There's a mouse caught in the trap, the sticky trap. And it's still alive. And it was still alive. And it's flailing around. And it was flailing around. I find I find it strange that Rob has has a really uh, emotional attachment. I like mice, they crawl around the house at night. You know, I should have brought it to you. They're little. They're little. They're really hard scavengers. to get out of the sticky trap once they're in. But and then anyway, we got it. No big deal. She left. I got. I took care of the mouse. I took care of the mouse. That's our business. I have friends. Called my friends over. They took care of the mouse. No. I took care of the mouse. Had this thing that sucks him up and shoots him out the side of the house. <laughs> I didn't think adventure. that was real, but apparently Well, he had lost is. all of his fur and two legs because we ripped uh, him off the track. No, just kidding. He, we just took care of him. Don't We don't even need to go there. But then I left Marty a note saying, took care of the mouse. It's all good. A text. Yeah. A text. 
And in the text, it said, what did it say, Mart? Um, the text just said, got rid of our little friend in the garage. Um, <laughs> but in a cruel and inhumane way. <laughs> but cute. there are signs that mice have come in the house because in our bedroom there are signs. There's some signs that there are some mice that have made it into our bedroom. Uh oh! And she freaked out. And I called him immediately. <laughs> and she was ticked. And I'm like, just trust me. It's there. I'm sure it's not a big deal. Just come home. When you come home, look in the bedroom. You'll see some signs. Well, it just so happens that we have a Mickey Mouse stuffed animal and a Minnie Mouse stuffed animal that we had in our kitchen, our living room because we had given taken our kids to Disneyland last year. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And so I just walked by it and I thought that'd be funny. So I actually made our bed, put our kids, put these mice in the bed with their little white paws sticking out of the bedspread <laughs> and set these pictures. And I took a picture of it. It's on my Facebook page. In fact, if you want to go, go find me on Facebook. So we sent that out there, and then Marty walked home. I don't, I don't know exactly what happened when you got home and saw the signs. The signs were we had two mice in our bed. <laughs> well, I asked I, when I called you. I said, "Are you kidding me? Are you really yeah. honestly? You are almost you swore because sometimes I don't. <laughs> sometimes I really don't know if Matt's kidding or not. So I said, "Are it's you okay, kidding me? It's okay. Neither do we. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Sorry. he said, he, he hesitated. Cause, so it, that hesitation made me think." Really? Uh, but he said, no, I'm serious. There are signs of mice in our room. Just go look. Just go look. So I immediately, when I got home, went right in the bedroom. And <laughs> Were you scared? <laughs> I was a little bit scared and, and wondering what, what yeah. it was all about. But anyway, there was Mickey and there was Minnie. Cutest can And be. I laughed my head off. They said, the kids said that you just like bust a gut <laughs> laughing. And I couldn't walk in the room for about the next hour without like totally laughing every time I walked <laughs> That's in. just nervous laughter because you were scared to death. And I was relieved. Yes. You're relieved. Exactly. So, uh, and then we put it on Facebook and guess what? 500 people liked the picture and like 17 shared it. So what we've decided is we're going to take a lot of pictures. Um, we're going to take a lot of pictures from here on out of mice in our house. Hey, if it's it kind of like cats. You know how cats play? No, it's dogs playing poker. Yeah, it's cats. The cats are all over the internet. All, yeah, we're going to do. We're going to start doing mice because mice are not equally represented. I guess. Have Anything? you ever Have you ever had a mouse run up your leg twice? Because that, that's happened. Have you really? Yes, I have. I haven't, but I've hit one with a dustpan like a tennis ball. Oh! Because, no, it was a bad mouse. I, was, I had cornered it on the stairs, and it looked me in the eye, and I swear it said, go ahead, make my day. It did say that. It challenged you. It challenged me. And then it jumped from like the seventh step, which was about my eye level, straight at me. He was just scared. I don't care what he was. Reason, he had a big, knife. Mean person was he was hit holding him with a, a knife. <laughs> so I and I just happened to have a dustpan and um, I just backhanded him. Oh. He killed him. I bet. Yeah. Mice can't take a dustpan. <laughs> Rob loves mice. He's crying. There's only one humane way for a mouse to die. And that's that? if the cute little kitty cat comes up and oh, plays man. with it. Any other way is inhumane. I'm oh, decided. have you seen that? That's not good. What, how, what did you do when it ran up your leg? 
well, to we run were, up inside we were, your pant leg? We were getting ready to go on a basketball tournament in high school, and we were in the locker room, like, changing. And I wasn't looking, all of a sudden I felt something going up my leg, and I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe, like, someone was, like, yeah, messing with me. It's the basketball locker room. Exactly. Weird stuff happens. Weird stuff happens. And I looked down, and a mouse was crawling up my leg and going up into my shorts. Ah. So uh, my out. next question is, were you relieved that it was a mouse no. or were you more terrified <laughs> that it was a mouse? Um, I guess thinking back, hindsight 2020, I was a little relieved it was a, little a mouse. Relieved. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, if it's a basketball, if it's the locker room, I don't think that mouse was there by accident. I That's probably know. a good point. I'm, I'm, thinking I'm sure it lives there. This was a uh, by design prank. Well, I'm from Iowa, so there's mice all over. So Mice are not bad. They're just a sign that you know, we need to call in an exterminator. You have too much cheese in your house. You know what? Interesting. I loaded the traps in our garage with cheese. Not interested. They didn't care. I heard peanut butter is the way to go. Peanut butter really? is the way to yeah. go. My s- but see, then my Snub kids it. would be all over it. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I need is my kids digging it. He likes a sticky trap. And uh, so, you know, if you want to check out a really hot picture of Mickey and Minnie, <laughs> it was just weird. My sir, you know what? There's some. I told this story in one of my workshops Saturday, and it freaks people out. Like, people are deadly afraid of mice. What did a mice ever do that would be so scary? I have no idea. They're pretty harmless. They are. But, like, when it's crawling up your leg, you're like, It's weird. It scares you. Yeah. It's just a mouse. Um, Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, news. Any other human news? I mean, humans, obviously, have got some, you know, problems. We're we're a mess. All right? We're a mess. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll do some human factor news, and then we'll get into our subject. Today's subject is a really uh, fun topic, I think. What matters most to you? And how do you start living your life so what matters most actually comes through in your actions? That's what we're talking about right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Can you build a robot that can fetch your slippers from the living room? How about from behind a rock on Mars? This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. NASA's Centennial Challenge Program engages the public to find innovative solutions through competition and cooperation. One of these forward-looking contests is the Sample Return Robot Challenge. Scheduled for 2012, It carries a million and a half dollar total prize purse for the winners. The goal of the Sample Return Robot Challenge is to develop a robotic system that can operate without human guidance or interference. The plan is for the pre-programmed robotic competitors to find, gather, and return multiple objects to a designated zone, and do it before the clock runs out. The robots will be retrieving items such as a hockey puck, a metal hook, and several other small objects. I don't actually think slippers are on the list. The benefits of such an invention are far-reaching. Since it's not dependent on communication with the control room on Earth, a robot that can operate autonomously will enable deeper space exploration. It could also cut down the time it takes to gather samples to analyze and achieve mission goals. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. 
What song changed my life? There are a lot of songs that have changed my life. It's a totally brutal question to try and answer. Every musician has that one song that changed their life. Join Tony Award winner Lea Salonga, American Idol finalist Brooke White, and more of your favorite artists as they explore their lives before and after they heard that one song that changed everything. Watch The Song That Changed My Life, Monday nights at 7.30 on BYU-TV. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about the news of the day, what makes humans human. You know, they're so special. Not only can we get 500 likes on Facebook because of a mouse, but, you know, people do amazing things. And so on the show, we always like to go through the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that make people human and the news of the day. Anybody got a good story that they'd like to start with? So, got, oh, 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 go ahead. No, yours We're is actually really cool. I've got Let's a go really, really cool one. So yesterday, um, Felix Baumgartner. 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 Yes. Set the world record for the highest skydive ever. How high was that? He was 24 miles off the ground. And that 24 was, miles. That is And crazy. he's also the first human now to break the speed of sound. He went. He got going 833.9 miles per hour or Mach 1.24. Remember when they used to think you couldn't do that? You would explode or whatever. Didn't they think that with your planes if you went? Oh, yeah. So he finally did it. It was Sunday he did yeah, that? Yeah, it was yesterday. Didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't it blow an arm and a leg off? With the speed of sound. Uh, as far as I know, he's doing okay. Yeah, he's doing great. There was a press conference after. And, and he made it. He, oh, made he, it. Landed, he landed on his feet. landed on his feet. Yeah. Landed and just kept walking like it was yeah. no big deal. You're kidding. Mm-hmm. Nope. That's really cool. That's pretty cool. Now, what would make you do that? I guess something to do. I would I would love to do that. <laughs> you would? Yeah. I would, really? I've Sky? been skydiving, yeah. I would love to, to Sky Skydiving? <laughs> <laughs> really? You just You've made that a, joke. You've jumped out of a plane. I've jumped out of a plane. Why? That's crazy. I don't it, it was really fun. Was it? Yeah, it what was, was awesome. What were you thinking like right before, like right before like number seven to die <laughs> and you're scooting down the plane? There's actually, yeah, there's actually like five jumpers. Usually there's smaller planes and there's not oh. that many jumpers. So I was, I was, as I was getting closer, like I could just see people just fall. Were you, ah. Just like you look like you, like the guy right before me, you're looking and the next thing you know, he's just like hundreds of feet below. You can't even like see him anymore. It's fast. But it was fun. What? But were you tied to somebody? Were you attached? Yeah, it was tandem. Tethered. Down. Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. fun? Um, I'm See, sure it'd be much more fun not tandem. We'll have some guy on your back. That'd drive me crazy. Yeah. But I mean, to, sky, to jump out of a plane. Is Were your lips cool. just flapping? Yeah, I got a video. And <laughs> <laughs> Were they going every said, direction? Yeah. <laughs> definitely How cool back. is that? I think it'd be really neat to do, but don't tell my wife. I won't tell her. Because she hates it when I do stuff like that. Oh, she said no skydiving. <laughs> well, that's cool. Okay, that's a cool story. So, what was this speed? What is it? What's the speed where you break the speed of sound? How I think fast? it's Mach one. It's seven sixty two. Holy cow! I don't know how many miles, miles per hour. But, it's, no, eight hundred and thirty-three. But breaking breaking the speed of sound is. Oh yeah. But, yeah. but how do you the... how do you open your chute without like having your head ripped off? Well, he was talking because he said it was he was in a pressurized suit, and he said normally he controls himself by like being able to feel the wind uh-huh. and he couldn't feel that and so he said it was a lot more difficult to like get ready to pull the chute because he'd like put his hand out and he'd just start spinning if you watch the video he's going crazy for a lot of it and so he was trying to like put his hand out and then he'd start spinning really fast so he'd set the other one down yes. and then eventually he got stable and that's when he was able to pull the chute I had a friend that flew the spy plane what was it called? 
flew the spy plane. The U. The U two. U two. That's a band. The U. The U. The Unabomber was a bomber. From I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a plane called the U two. The U two. The U two spy, U-2 spy, spy plane. plane. Yeah. He, he does the same thing, and and if they fall, they have visors that heat up, and because you have to de-ice because you're up so high. But he says so. Even the U two. That's about the height they'd probably be jumping from if they had to. Hmm. And but it's still, your shoot seems like it would rip your neck off. You're well, you're heading not... that fast. Yeah, it seems yeah. very very painful. I don't know. If but I he, did, he did he did he did slow down. Yeah, like, oh he did. Yeah, he was like. Yo, you that probably was, throw that was out one his... of those. Uh, you probably had speed bumps, stuff like that, to slow you down. <laughs> Little birds. <laughs> Little birds. <laughs> yeah. What if you run into a bird on the way? Down? Okay, that's crazy. Oh wow, that's a cool human right there. Well, Matt. Yes. You know how yesterday you ran over that dog? Which one? Uh, the first one. He did? I did. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. We kidding. talked about running over the dog that jumped into the thing. Oh. We did that one. Oh, yes, you we always did. bring a dog I have no story. idea well, what you guys Dr. are talking Ray. about just no, now. No, we, I was just kidding. We were hanging but, out on Sunday. Um, like, before we talked about a dog that got scooped up into the grill of a car, well, wouldn't you know, if you had saved a dog or if you adopt a dog, it could save your child's life. What? Apparently, this Connecticut shelter dog um, saved a baby. It's a... Um, the dog named Duke came into the parents' room in the middle of the night, started jumping on the bed, and they were like, normally it's really behave- well-behaved dogs. So yeah. They were kind of confused of what was going on, so they decided to check on the baby, and the baby wasn't breathing. No so way. So it was trying to let them know what was going on. That is so, cool. Yeah. See, spay and neuter your dog, and they'll save your baby's life. I'm not sure that math works out that yeah. well. <laughs> well, that's like, just what the advertisement dog. says. <laughs> that's pretty neat. Okay, so we need dogs. And speaking of saving your baby's life, yes, you can. Company in India thinks it can save you a lot of money on your next car. Is that your baby? <laughs> if you want to buy, yeah, it could be your baby. <laughs> okay, let's talk cars. Although I don't see anybody. It's his baby. That was this a weird segue. This but doesn't let's go seem there. like <laughs> doesn't seem like one of those cars though that somebody you're going to see somebody gently washing and waxing it on a weekend afternoon at the car yeah, wash. You don't, yeah, yeah. it's uh, currently the three thousand dollar Tata uh, Tata Nano, I believe. I'm not sure they don't Tata sell the cars. So I don't know what's Nano. Called. But the Nano is a $3,000 car that I've seen a picture of is somewhere between a golf cart and a Geo Metro. Really? In terms of uh, quality. But, and between those two, I'm not sure which one is more roadworthy. Yeah. <laughs> we had a Geo Metro for a while in our family. It only lasted for, what, like a six months before we How much we was resold it? it? Did you get ripped off? Three grand. This one's only three grand. I have no idea what we got it for, but it was... We were able to resell it, though, higher than what we got it for. So well, you I don't know how that works. ever had the pleasure and experience of ever driving one of the old three-cylinder Geo Metros? This is going to be a is real this a treat because this car? features a two-cylinder, 37-horsepower <gasps> oh, lawnmower, seating for up to four very small people. And, uh, <laughs> very small people. So, but the so big story family. is the car has been around India for a while, but here's the story. They're bringing it to the United States. Wow. What on earth, how on earth could they get that thing up to uh, our safety standards? I think by the time you add it, all the beams and the crash protection and the airbags, 
it's going to be an entirely different car. There's no way they're going to bring this in at three thousand know dollars. I bet it's going to be ten thousand dollars by the time oh, they yeah, totally. get it here. But yeah, then you won't want it. That car Remember? reminds me a lot about the Trabants from Germany during communist time. What's the My, Trabant? It's have you you've never seen a Trabant? It's no. like a Trabi. Is it like Sounds a? Familiar? Is it a food? Because I'm starving. No, no, it's a little car. It was a very very. Isn't it one of Bad those car. giant Soviet cars that you can put this nope. little uh, nano it, in the trunk of? <laughs> no, it was a really tiny car. They How they made the frame is they just pressed cotton together. Oh. It wasn't even metal. But then you could and blow it, your nose on it. <laughs> and then it had well, a two-cylinder car. There's a bit of sustainability there, though, because you could recycle the car later. They didn't, though. This was Plus, you could, if you went in the accident, <laughs> you could use the uh, the hubcaps to stop your bleeding. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. Isn't it, that weird? Yeah. This is messed up. This is the answer, though. The all these cars, if they're if they're three thousand dollars, they're then disposable, which means you just can toss them. Because this guy in Germany has finally been reunited with his car. That two years after he lost track of it in a parking lot, they've brought it back. He found his car. This is the story, okay? Bavarian police said the man had been drinking one night. Imagine that. You're too, you're too imbibed to uh, remember where you parked your car. This was in December of 2010. He lost track of his vehicle, and uh, when the man returned the next day to find his vehicle, it was nowhere to be found. He eventually reported the missing vehicle to the Munich police. The vehicle miss, was missing until last month when a traffic warden noticed it, its expired inspection sticker. Okay, two years later, they find it in a parking lot two and a half miles from the place where the guy was sure he left it. Oh, so it was the wrong parking lot. He was in the wrong parking lot. Tell me you haven't done that. But it's going to cost, inside of it, he had $51,000 worth of tools. Which makes me wonder... What kind of tools were they? Was he a dentist? Yeah. Was he like a surgeon He's out of that surgeon. car? He was doing car surgery. All right. You know. A lot of people do that it in Europe. You know it how happens. they're a little progressive over there. And uh, now the only thing he's going to have to do to get his car back is renew the inspection stickers. Yay. Which will cost $10 million. <laughs> well, did he buy a new car? Or how was it he didn't talk about him years? buying a new car. I bet you he went to India and bought one of these $3,000 jewels. <laughs> and now he's going to use that little bad boy. to. That way, if your cars are disposable, if you lose one, it's not a big deal. Oh, oh well. You think that'll ever happen? Well, it's just like disposable razors. You know, mm-hmm. Eventually, it'll be cheap enough that we'll just buy a, buy a 10-pack of cars. Yeah. <sighs> Honey, then... we're going through cars way too fast. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? That a 10-pack. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Well, not you don't need. You just would pick one up. They just have one delivered. Okay. Then you don't have to worry. If you're tired of cleaning your car, like sometimes because I travel and do a lot of speeches, you know, I'll have a lot of stuff in my car. Sometimes it'd be easier to just get rid of my car and get a new car. You get like variety packs, like SUV, (laughs) sedan. Love it. See, I actually know a family that cars are disposable to them. Really? They just always buy cars, do whatever. Are they wealthy? Uh, Yeah. And so- you know, either that or they have a lot of debt. <laughs> yeah. No, they're highly yeah. indebted. They're wealthy, but how the girl who's my age decides what car she wants to drive is by what matches her outfit. Wow! So I, <laughs> I will never how would be that able be? to do that. I just died a little inside. Did you? You got sad. You're coveting. Yeah. Is that sadness? Or are you just sick of the no, world? No, it's it's sick of the world. <laughs> 
<laughs> I tell you, that is that's see that's humans. Do you see this? <laughs> a three thousand dollar car. But when Volkswagen Beetles came out back in the day, they were known as a piece. And the, now the Beetle out. was built better than this car. I oh, think. Oh, I bet <laughs> the Beetle. I had many a Beetle, and honestly, hot car. Mm-hmm. Mine was hot. <laughs> I don't mean to brag. Because it didn't have air conditioning. Hot, exactly. And it didn't have a water-cooled engine. And the heat and the engine was behind you, and it would just kind of seep up through the floorboards. <laughs> and you're just sweating like a dog. But you know what? In the winter, beautiful car. Warms right up. Nice and steamy in there. Nice and steamy. <laughs> Honestly, these things, the kids, I got a car. Did I tell you? I got a car for $20. You did tell me this. It's hot. It's a truck. I'm kind of going cowboy. Mm-hmm. Because trucks are cowboy. Are you going to put a rifle rack in the back? Done. What? And I don't even have a rifle. <laughs> I have a rack, though. I have a huge rifle. I have a rifle rack without a rifle. But what do you put in a rifle rack without that? Baseball bat. Baseball Subway bat. sandwich. <laughs> oh, that's even Ooh, better. For, uh, like the big one. ones. The big ones. For a lot of people. There you go. But really, it's a party truck. One. That one was Bryce. Boy, that's the Bryce is right. <laughs> but see, that this is going to be my kid's beater truck. So it'll be good. Well, see, people are people, too. People are people wherever you go. <laughs> wherever you go, there they are, the people of America. Well, there's the news. When we come back after this break, we're getting into it. What matters most? If somebody came up and stuck a microphone in your face and said, hey, what matters most to you? What would you say? That's what we're going to be going over on next on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have your team join ours and become a sponsor of Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For details, call 801-422-1448 or email support at byu.edu. Go Cougars! Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The Pakistani schoolgirl who was the target of a Taliban attack has been moved to a British hospital normally reserved for treating soldiers wounded in combat. The girl was targeted for her well-known advocation of women's rights in the country. Her doctors say that she has a good chance at recovery despite being shot in the head. The hospital's medical director says she should recover on all levels, but that the treatment and rehabilitation process will likely take months. The military hospital already has very tight security, so no extra units have been assigned to protect the girl specifically. For now, her family remains in Pakistan, but may join her in the U.K. at a later date. Felix Baumgartner has now become the first man ever to skydive from 24 miles above the earth and in the process broke the sound barrier during his record-breaking freefall. The project was funded by Red Bull and millions of people tuned in to watch the jump via internet streams yesterday. The 43-year-old Austrian exceeded expectations for height and speed by jumping from 128,000 feet and breaking 830 miles per hour. The achievement came on the 65th anniversary of the first time any manned aircraft broke the sound barrier. NASA did not participate in the stunt, but officials from the organization were watching closely and may use some of the recorded scientific data to improve spacecraft and spacesuits for emergency escapes. The European Union has agreed to further sanctions against Iran, blocking banking, shipping and industrial sectors today. 
The move shows increased concern by European leaders about the Iranian nuclear program and the threat of Israel attacking to stop Iran from becoming a nuclear power. The latest wave of sanctions are meant to help encourage Iranian government, the Iranian government to resume negotiations with Western powers. U.S. sanctions have been in place for a while now, but EU powers have been hesitant to join because they did not want to punish normal Iranian citizens while trying to force government officials to cooperate. As many U.S. cities and states across the nation try to find places to cut back their budgets, retiree health insurance has become the latest casualty of public sector job benefits. The long-honored perk has been removed from private sector jobs for years, and now it is falling quickly from public servants' retirement plans as well. Pension programs are generally protected by binding legislation, so budget makers are left with few options to cut, and health coverage after retirement is becoming a popular choice. The tread could lead to millions of public sector workers facing thousands of dollars of unanticipated health costs to deal with on their own. Illinois recently changed its retiree health care benefits and expects to save $800 million a year. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Today on the show, we're getting into the topic of what matters most to you. There's so many things out there that seem to matter. So many, you know, marketers out there trying to get our attention, our focus. What matters most to you? You know, we all have things that are important to us today and tomorrow, but do our priorities change when we find out we only have a few days to live? What is most important to you? It is probably a question that you have thought about before. You may even have come up with answers like work, a trip I've been planning for weeks, my health, perhaps even a birthday. Well, I asked a few people what they thought was the most important thing to them today, and here are some of their responses. Right now, it's the elections. Sleep. I could really use a Friday nap. (laughs) Uh, BYU football. Well, I suppose I've been thinking a lot about the election, but I look at it more from the term of not so much who's elected, but I look toward the, the, the situation with the Supreme Court, and that concerns me and individual rights and issues like that. So the Supreme Court probably has my biggest attention right now. So it sounds like the more civil-minded of the group are more concerned and think about the election, while those of us who are young at heart, one might say, may choose something a bit more selfish. But would those answers change if you found out you would die next week? That would change my answer because then I would feel like uh, my delaying getting my house in order would probably be much more important. My family. I'd fly home to Texas and have a party. Hurry up and get things cleaned up in my house (laughs) so that my family wouldn't have to deal with it. My family, obviously. My family and my close friends. So what do we learn here? Do we all just focus on the immediate until something life-changing presents itself? Or deep down, are the things that really matter 
Not things at all are the things or experiences or people that we most care about, the things that bring us joy in life, or maybe even the things we hope we matter to. Whatever the answer is, a nap sure sounds good right now. When in doubt, go with a nap. That is my favorite my favorite thing in the world. What would you say if somebody came up to you, put a microphone in your face, what matters most to you? Uh I don't I you know, I don't know that I'd be mentioning the election. I would definitely mention mice um and cars. But I really wouldn't. And then when they say if you were dying and you found out you were dying, what would matter most? It's interesting how quickly that puts it all into perspective. We're going to be bringing on our guest, author Karen M. Wyatt. Karen is a medical doctor and is a family physician who has spent about 25 years of her medical career working with patients in challenging settings, such as hospices, nursing homes, indigent clinics. She's founded a free medical clinic in a homeless shelter, accompanied three medical mission teams to Honduras, and led a nonprofit clinic for the uninsured in its, and, um, and has grown that. She's also the author of the book, What Really Matters? Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. Karen M. Wyatt, welcome to the program, Karen. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. You bet. Thanks for being on the show. And it really, it's it's such a touching thing. It, it, it's interesting how those uh, all their stories change the minute you add the little contingency that you're dying. Yes, definitely. Tell us what you've learned about that. You know, you spent so many years dealing with people. You know, on the edge of life, on the edge of survival. What 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 are some of the key learnings that stand out? Well, um, to begin with, I, I really found I entered the lives of most of these patients when they were really at a crisis point, having just learned that they're going to die or, or being within a few weeks of death. And I really set out to to find out from them what they were learning and what that transformation was like at the end of life. And um, without a doubt, every patient talked about love as being one of the most important things or one of the things that mattered the most to them in their last days of life, who they loved, how much they had loved, and who loved them. Fascinating. And hand in hand with love went forgiveness because because we cannot love other people without practicing forgiveness because mm-hmm. everyone we love will disappoint us at some time. And so the task I saw most people working on was figuring out how to be forgiven or to forgive other people in those last few days of life. What a special time to be around them. Um, it's, so, it's, it's, just, it's almost cliche, isn't it, that love is what is on their minds, but it's just, it's almost, it's just so universal, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it, it made a big impact on me because over and over people said, uh, none of my possessions matter, my wealth doesn't matter, my job, my status in life doesn't matter. Mm. It matters to me um, who I have loved and the relationships that I have had. And some of them said to me, I wish I had thought about this earlier. I wish I had thought about this years ago and changed the focus of my life. And that's really what inspired me to write a book about it because I, I realized we could be changing the way we look at things even when we're not on our deathbed and yeah. not at the end of life and change how we approach our lives and what we put our energy and time into. Wouldn't it be great if we could somehow conscientiously keep that top of mind that we don't have to wait till we're dying, we don't have to wait till we're stretched to the end to be making some of these changes? What, what do you sense gets in the way 
I mean, uh, the obvious marketing, life, the world. Yeah, life is just overwhelming at times. And I think we do get so caught up in the details of what we're doing um, and running around busily in our lives that, that we, don't, we don't think about these things. But I think we also actually want to avoid thinking about it anyway. I think most of us have a fear of, of death and yeah. dying, and it's much easier to put it out of our minds and not think of it. But one of the great gifts for me of working with people who are dying is just is being immersed in it all the time. So I, I can't help but think about it. And that's actually been wonderful. It's it, actually that's taken like a, away my fear. Isn't that interesting? Because I, I just yesterday spent some time talking to a hospice um, chaplain, and he, he basically says the exact same thing. I'm very comfortable talking about all this. And in fact, he loves it. The stories that come out of these people and the examples are they're profound. Yes, it is. It's so profound, and it's such a unique opportunity to be able to be part of the lives of these patients at, at the very end of life and to just to observe it and walk with them and learn what they're learning at that time. It's, it's such it's, a it's, sacred time, isn't it? Oh, it is. Sacred's it's, like the word that comes to mind when I hear of that. Yeah, definitely. It's beautiful, actually. As much as, I mean, there's pain and fear uh-huh. involved at times, but the parole of hospice is to help alleviate the negative symptoms um, to make sure that, it's, uh, that it can be a special and meaningful time for each patient. Do you believe, I've had somebody tell me once that one of the greatest lessons that you can give somebody is um, how you die. And I've heard, so I heard that, like, like how you go about dying. And then I thought, well, maybe... A better lesson is how you teach about living uh, while you're dying. Or I mean, I'm just—I guess I'm trying to get to how is that the greatest lesson? Or what do you feel about that? Like this, because you're getting all of these profound lessons just listening to these people in their final time. Um, what do you see as the great gift that you give as you're dying? Well, I actually, I think both of the things you talked about are really important. I think it's important in our society that we learn a little bit about what happens when people die, because I think we've become pretty detached from it, and that's one of the reasons we're afraid. And if we were able to look at it, or if it happened like in the old days, if it happened more and more inside the home, and um, we were taking care of our loved ones when they died, it would really help us a lot to to dispel a lot of our fears and misunderstandings. But then um, these lessons that I learned from patients, I really do believe that they're the secret to how we should be living. And so it isn't just learn how to die so you're able to do it better, but... The, the whole point is, if you learn how to live now and live your yeah. life w- with priorities, these priorities and what matters in life, dying isn't going to be that big an issue for you. Right. You will already feel complete. Like, I've, I've done it. You'll I be really, it. yeah, you'll be, yeah. It's it's almost like just the after thought. I mean, it's you've become what you need to become, so dying's just the passing on. Um, give yeah. us give us one of your, give or give us, we're going to come back and, and have a whole big segment where you can just teach us a bunch of the learnings. What's one in about 30 seconds? What's one of the, what's one of the big learnings that has stood out? And then we'll have you come back and explain it more. One that has stood out for me, I mentioned already, is the idea of forgiveness and forgiveness to the extent of not even, not even wasting energy on being angry and upset with people, letting go of that right at the 
time that something yeah. happens to you. Because if not, you're holding it, huh? And there's, I guess there's people that hold it all the way to the death. Oh, yeah. Holding it and wasting lots of your life energy oh. to it. Like, and seriously, what a waste. Because just to, have, to, to not be able to, to like have this, your peace damned up where you can't, you can't experience peace because you're blocked by the lack of forgiveness. We'll come yeah. back. And I really want you to, to give us some insight on that, Karen, because like, how, yeah. how do we go about forgiveness and, and, and do it early, not in, the, in, a, in an earlier stage? Also, love to hear a bunch of your other ideas and lessons from your book, What Really Matters? Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. We're talking with Karen M. Wyatt, M.D., Right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Everyone knows that when you're flying in an airplane, ice on the wings is bad. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. High in the atmosphere, supercooled water droplets can instantly freeze onto an aircraft that the water strikes. Ice forming on the surface of an airplane changes the aerodynamics of the aircraft. Depending on the location, shape, and surface roughness, the newly formed ice can affect an aircraft's performance. Worst case scenario, it could even cause loss of control of the plane. But NASA is helping to stop ice buildup on aircraft surfaces long before you leave the runway. Actually, before the aircraft is even built. Since the 1980s, the icing branch at NASA's Glenn Research Center has been developing software to virtually model how ice forms on specific structural designs. With variables like temperature, water droplet size, and the aircraft's airspeed, this software is called Ice, And it's one of the most widely used tools in icing research and aircraft design and certification. With the help of this software code, aircraft designers are saving hundreds of thousands of dollars in design and development costs. Aircraft, designed from the start with icing in mind, are making the skies safer. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU's second season of football independence is underway, and all season long you can hear every snap on BYU Radio. What a play! Join us every game day as Greg Rubel calls the action. Keeps on his feet, has a man open! Plus, don't miss pre- and post-game coverage with the game's key players and coaches. We have a strong reputation of when the games are close to find a way to win. Over seven hours of football coverage every game day, all season long. Touchdown! Here on the home of Cougar Sports, Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We're talking about what really matters most. And uh, we're going to be bringing on our guest again, Karen M. Wyatt, who is an MD that has spent a lot of her life dealing with people in that stressful time of their life, nearing their death. Um, and she's got some incredible insight we're dying to hear from. Before we get to her, let's, uh, as you know, we've been talking about what really matters today. Some may wonder if money really is something that should matter as much as it does. Our uh, One of our producers, Madison, shares with us her findings on happiness and wealth on a global scale. We have 
all heard the phrase, money does not buy happiness. But is that really true? When we were all younger, we would kind of scoff at this because obviously if you got more things, that would make you happier. But as you get older, you realize, okay, that does not mean everything, but it certainly does help. I researched this to see if there is a correlation between happiness and the overall wealth of a nation. When surveyed, people said that the things that were most important to them were number one, health, two, relationships, and three, the potential for happiness. Although money is not mentioned, does it factor into it at all? The short answer is no. While economic prosperity does correspond highly with happiness, there are other factors. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development reports on life satisfaction that is measured in more than 30 sets of data in 11 different categories, including education, health, and employment. They also asked residents of countries to rank from 1 to 10 their general satisfaction with their lives. Traditionally, Denmark has topped the charts, but this year it has dropped down to 110 on the list. Coming in at number one is Puerto Rico. Based on self-reporting, they are the happiest, and also stats prove that they live the longest and produce only one-third the ecological footprint compared to the U.S. While the U.S. has long been known to be one of the wealthiest countries in the world, their spot in this list is 105 out of the 150 countries that participated. The saddest are Qatar, Chad, and Botswana. What I found was interesting is that Qatar is actually the wealthiest country in the world per capita. This is obviously proven that while some of these, such as Qatar and the U.S., which are very wealthy, are found relatively low on this list. Based on these findings, we can safely conclude... Based on these findings, we can safely conclude that no matter how wealthy a country is, it has no influence on their happiness. My advice is to stay focused on what really matters. Instead of putting some extra hours in at the office, stay home and have some time with your kids. Rates of higher happiness with your family relationships has been found to be the biggest source of happiness. Absolutely. Family matters. And uh, when you think about it, uh, what really matters you know what? Um, your relationships. And that's what our author, Karen M. Wyatt, Dr. Karen M. Wyatt, uh, brought up. She has spent a lot of time with people as they're, you know, at the more stressed stages maybe of their lives. Usually it should be a peaceful stage, but that's not always what happens. Dr. Karen M. Wyatt's the author of What Really Matters, Seven Lessons from Living from for Living from the Stories of the Dying. Dr. Wyatt, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Matt. You bet. And uh, while uh, while we were gone, what you, you before we came before we left, sorry, you talked about forgiveness and love were two of the great lessons you learned that um, that people taught at that stage yeah. of their life or dying. What what uh, what were some other lessons? Well, uh, another lesson was the idea of living in the present moment, which we hear about all the all the time. Mm-hmm. That's become a really common kind of mantra these days, but what I learned from them is, is the idea of finding joy in every single moment that you have and cherishing every moment, and it became very clear to me at that time how little I did that, how little I really appreciated what was around me in the moment, but I saw these dying patients who knew, like, this might be the last, today might be the last day I see the sunset, this might be the last time I hear that song, and they appreciated every single thing, every person they saw, every smile, Mm. every, every taste of food so much, 
And it, it made a powerful impact on me to realize I don't do that at all. Yeah. I, I just, I'm oblivious half the time to what I'm experiencing and not even noticing, not noticing how beautiful things are around me and appreciating it. And that was a very powerful lesson That's for me. huge. And then you also become ungrateful because you're not noticing it. So which kind of gets back to love. Um, I guess, too, it's interesting because forgiveness would mean you're also hanging on to the past, not being present. That's right. That's right. That's one of the biggest lessons I found about forgiveness is that when you really genuinely practice forgiveness, you free up a lot of energy because because you tie up this energy inside of you, holding on to old memories and keeping grudges alive. And once you start to let those go, you have even more energy available to you to to actually notice what's happening around yeah. you and appreciate it and to feel the gratitude that you mentioned um, because you're just not, you're simply not wasting, you're not wasting your life energy away. And, and, and your bandwidth. So it's your energy and you, you only have so much time anyway, but to occupy yeah. <laughs> it with so much energy, especially about stuff from the past that you can't, it's almost like we need the stories, don't we? We need, it's, we think in our little myopic human way, we think we need to have this grudge or we lose something, I guess. Yeah, For some I reason we hang on to it. Yeah, a lot of people they they feel that something was was done wrong to them that they've been harmed, and that to let go of it is to let the other person off the hook, and right. that somehow that that's not right. That the other person should have to suffer for what they've done wrong. But really, they're. By holding on to resentment, we just cause ourselves more suffering rather than hurting the other person. We just hurt ourselves even more by holding it. It just seems like that's what it's about, huh? It just ends up hurting you. It ends up taking your energy, your bandwidth, and maybe even be causing your sickness that's driving you to the end. Yes, definitely. Oh, there's a lot of freedom in being able to let it go. Did you you see any ideas um, and lessons that came about how they do let go? How... How do you? I mean, I know one of your points is surrender. How how do these people learn these lessons? I guess, is it just you're so faced with the reality of the end that you have no other choice but to accept it? Well, that's partly true, I think. It's kind of being up against the wall, like, here it is. Yeah, (laughs) da-da. No play, nowhere else to go. Right. You have to look at it and address it. But um, it seemed to me that there is this certain amount of surrender and just kind of opening your heart and just deciding I'm going to let go of everything, everything that keeps me in the past and everything that, that uh, everything that's miserable that I'm holding on to because they're not serving me at all. Mm-hmm. And we have a few moments left and I want this to be, I want them to be beautiful and filled with peace and love, not filled with anger and resentment. Yeah. Oh. Um, I did see... Though there were, there's one of the stories from the book, um, a sweet little story that sometimes it takes an action on the part of a physical action to actually trigger forgiveness to happen. And it was a story of, oh, there was, um, our patient had three children, two daughters and a son who were estranged from one another. The daughters were taking care of their mother, but the son had been the black sheep of the family and hadn't been around for mm. 20 years. Yeah. No, none of them had spoken to him. But the mother, who was our patient, desperately wanted her children to be reunited before she died. That was the one thing that, that mattered to her more than anything. And um, 
although her daughters would hear nothing of it, they did not want the son to be involved. We finally convinced them to allow him to come and visit their mother. And while he was, they left the house when he came. They didn't want to see him. But while he was there, she told him she was also disappointed because she'd been making this hooked rug for her great-granddaughter who had just been born. Mm-hmm. It would have the granddaughter's name and birth date on it. She'd made one for every grandchild and great-grandchild, but she was too ill to finish the rug. So what actually happened is the son took the rug with him and finished it for his mother as a surprise. And he came back to the house and showed up with that rug. And he'd never done anything like that. Isn't that amazing? And he just did it out of pure love for, for his mother. He finished that rug. The sisters saw him bring that in. And literally, it was like their hearts just broke open. And 20 yeah. years of bitterness and animosity was wiped out by that one loving act, act. that he did for their mother. And just like that, instantly, the three of them were reunited. And that mom was able to have a peaceful death because her children came together. But it happened that quickly. Yes. And that's one of the things people think that it will take years and years to forgive someone. They think that right. it will. It, I'll always you know, remember it, right. Um, but, but it can happen in an instant, and I saw it multiple times. Well, that's happen. the miracle, isn't it? So the peace can come as soon as you, I guess, create the space for it. Or the, you know, like this son, the, the prodigal son, the lost son ends up creating, fixing this rug, and it, it, this act of love shifted the minds of everybody. I mean, to me, I guess that's all forgiveness really is, is having the shift, the shift that allows love back in, and then that seems to erase everything. Yeah, exactly. Just shifting your view, how you view the other person. Yeah. And suddenly they saw him as someone who was capable of doing a great loving act and and making a self-sacrifice out of love for their mom. And they hadn't seen him that way yeah. for years and years. And they, they just needed to expand their view of who he was. So, so I would say the impact that's had on me, on my life, is that I try in every encounter yeah. <laughs> to, to adopt that attitude right away, is to try to have compassion and understand, okay, even if that person meant to harm me, I don't want yeah. to hold on to anger at them. I would like to let it go. And well, and on. what would it take for somebody to be in a position where they'd want to harm you? They must be hurting so bad. They must yeah. be broken. They must be. And not exactly. like a punitive broken, but just almost a sad, it's almost just understanding. It's having understanding and empathy that we're all in this thing together. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, and that, who knows, I've harmed people too. Oh, I've yeah. hurt people without intending to. And um, even though, even times when my intentions were all good, I've said the wrong thing or done something stupid or, you know, not not been thoughtful toward another person. But um, we have to allow that other people are trying. They're just trying to get by, too. That's true. Hey, can you hang with us about 15 more minutes, Karen? We're going to take sure. a break, and I want, I'd love to come back and continue this discussion. Okay. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get into more of the lessons learned um, from Karen's book, What Really Matters, Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. Just a great read. I, I highly recommend it. We're also going to be giving away a book if you want a if you want a shot at winning that, give us a call 801-422-0143. 801-422-0143. We'll be giving a copy of that away. 
uh, by our last segment in about a half hour from now. We'll be back on the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Are there some global issues you wish you could know more about or could get an inside perspective on? Notes from the Kennedy Center presents lectures and seminars from international diplomats and scholars discussing issues and events from all over the world. Become a more informed global citizen and tune into Notes from the Kennedy Center weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The Republican campaign for a Mitt Romney presidency raised over $170 million last month, but still came up short of the Democrats' record-breaking fundraising. President Obama and his team pulled in the most money ever raised by a political candidate in one month at $181 million. That marks the second consecutive month that the president's team outraised the Republicans after several months of Romney dominance. As the money continues to pour into the two campaigns, this election season is already the most expensive the U.S. has ever seen. Consumer spending rose last month by much higher margins than economists were expecting. Spending was up on everything from cars to electronics, which further signals continued modest economic recovery. A chunk of the 1.1% increase came from higher gas prices, forcing consumers to spend more, but the jump was not limited to spending on fuel. Consumer spending rising is one of the strongest indicators of economic progress, and this boost comes as part of a steady stream of positive economic news. The modest recovery isn't likely to affect recent Federal Reserve policies that are aimed at a continued stimulation of the financial sector. Four of the largest U.S. manufacturing companies unveiled plans to form a group dedicated to helping train and employ veterans in the manufacturing sector. The Get Skills to Work Coalition will kick off by training 15,000 veterans and finding them a job among the four companies' ranks or in other suitable positions. A recent study showed that around 600,000 manufacturing jobs have gone unfilled in the U.S. due to a lack of properly skilled workers. This program will help turn military training into relevant workforce skills to help fill the need for skilled labor and give veterans a viable civilian career option. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case regarding Arizona's voter ID law that would require people to prove U.S. citizenship in order to vote in the federal election. The court will not be hearing any arguments before the November 6th election, so this law will not be in effect for the coming vote. This is one of many state-level laws passed around the country by Republicans that many Democrat leaders are challenging. The Democrats say these laws are meant to block groups that would normally tend to vote for them. Republican backers are pushing that these laws are pushing these laws under the premise that they are important in stopping people from fraudulently casting ballots. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about 
What Matters Most, and the book really, What What Really Matters, Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying, Karen M. Wyatt, an MD who spent a lot of her life uh, with people as they were dying or just in, in difficult situations. She's done a lot of work um, abroad helping those that don't, don't have as many um, blessings in life that maybe need a little help, and she's learned a lot of lessons. Dr. Wyatt, welcome back. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. As you uh, as you sit and you think about these lessons, how have they impacted your life? Like this has got to be a profound thing for you personally. Definitely, uh, one of the well, I mentioned already that forgiveness has been a very big has had a big impact on my life. Yeah. Working on on forgiveness, trying to live more in the present moment and appreciate the the moment around me. And then also learning under the topic of surrender, learning to let go of my expectations for the future. That's that's one I still have to work on all the time, uh-huh. <laughs> is that I'm almost always projecting out into the future and hoping or expecting things to turn out a certain way. And that's the only reason I ever get disappointed is that I created expectations that weren't... Um, weren't reasonable or realistic. So well, and that's so to... hard, isn't it? That is like, that is Americana right there. You yeah. know what I mean? Having high expectations, expecting a lot, getting, you know, we, 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 but you're, you're kind of saying one of the lessons you, that we need to learn and that you've learned is maybe just letting the future, I mean, you can work, I mean, you had to work to get a medical degree, but then letting it be, let the future come as it may. Yes, and it's actually been a huge lesson with writing a book and publishing a book is that I've attached, I attached big expectations to that that I have to constantly destroy. I have to constantly (laughs) wipe it out and just be where I am today. And, you know, it doesn't matter what I could dream of that might happen or how many people might read the book. It matters that if I'm talking to someone like you right now who has read the book and, you know, to be here and be present with it and let it just be whatever it is right now instead of putting all my energy into the future. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's that idea of bringing the energy up from the past and keeping it from projecting way into the future to just focus on the now. I love that. And I, I mean, I see it too. I do a lot of speaking and, you know, you'll be all excited to go do a speech because there's going to be so many people there and you show up and there's half as many as you thought and you might be frustrated. But then if you get in the moment, you feel it. You actually feel it. To me, I guess it's almost like we're sitting here on this earth. We spend all of our time buying a car, getting a car, shining the car, getting it ready for the trip. Then when we're on the trip, we can kind of hardly wait to get there. And then when we get home, we just clean the car after we went. But no one was ever in the car when we were driving. This is a drive. We're on the road in our lives right now. And a lot of us are too caught up in where we were and where we're going that we're no longer enjoying the road. Yeah, exactly. And I, when you mentioned traveling, I actually had the experience at one time in my life. I was traveling through Scotland and saw like a castle or something. And at that moment, I thought, I need to remember to come back here someday so I can really <laughs> look at this and pay attention to it. And later I realized, that's what? ridiculous. I was there. <laughs> I was there, and I didn't even appreciate it. I put it on some list in my head that someday I'll go back again. Yeah. Like, oh, I, that's a great a example. Like, oh, my kids would really love to see this. Or sometimes we're so caught up taking pictures in the moment for our future that we're not in the moment <laughs> creating a memory. 
Yeah, we have all these pictures and then don't even remember yeah, no, what we, was that? What was that? That's <laughs> really, it's a fascinating thing because a lot of our listeners, Karen, are truck drivers. And I was just talking to some actually yesterday at church that drive all over the country and they love it. They love that they can just sit there. In fact, he said the easiest thing about driving truck is driving truck. The hardest thing is getting ready to go or, you know, getting ready for your next one. But there's a lot of people out there that um, probably need to just enjoy the ride. Yeah, I can see it just being in that space and just t- taking in whatever whatever's coming your way mm. as you as you move along. That's powerful. Tell me, as we, uh, we've only got a couple more minutes where we can talk about it, um, tell me what, overall, what, what do you hope everybody gets? I mean, I've written a book, it's a, and writing a book is such a personal thing, and you leave yeah. so much on the table, don't you? Oh, yes, absolutely. What do you, yeah, what do you really hope cool. everyone's getting? Well, the first thing is that I I hope people become less afraid of death and dying and that it becomes a more regular topic in our conversations Mm -hmm. here and that that we can just look at it and not be so uncomfortable as a society. Um, And then secondly, I really hope that people can pick up some of these lessons and and make even one change in their life and think, I'm going to change the way I do this because... Because uh, I want to know when I get to the end that I that that I paid attention and I was awake through my life and I, I paid attention to things that matter. Oh. So I'm hopeful that that will happen for people. Well, and I think it will. And it really is in the present that life is lived, right? I mean, and it's even in the yeah. present that life is die. You die. It's always in the present. And and then I guess it, when you pass, then you'll pass to some other realm. Um, but in the present, I can still be with my family, even if I have a sickness. I can still be with my family, even if we're in debt. I can still be present in my life, even if I'm, you know, still in school or whatever level of life or stage of life I'm in. Yeah, no matter what the situation. Powerful. Powerful stuff. Well, I really, I love it. And uh, it is a great book. Karen M. Wyatt, MD. The book's called What Really Matters, Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying uh, honestly, it's on the list. It's a must-read. I highly suggest it. We are going to um, be giving a, a copy of this away, 801-422-0143, 801-422-0143. If you, um, if you are interested in that, please give us a call, and we will send that out to you, 801-422-0143. And uh, we're going to thank you, Dr. Karen M. Wyatt. Appreciate you so much and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Matt. You bet. Take care of yourself. Great lessons about forgiveness, about love, suspending. I can't tell you how I just did a speech, I don't know, 200 women, I think, in a room. And I asked them, what's so hard about life? Not to brag anything, but it was like 200 people. Pretty cool, right? Well, no, that's not a lot. (laughs) Those 200 women. I'm just teasing you. But the powerful thing about that is these 200 women were, I'm like, what's so hard about being a woman in your world, in your neighborhood, this was a kind of an area, just a little neighborhood of Draper. Um, and, but their stories, they're universal. We feel overwhelmed. We feel like we're all, you know, people judge us. We're not skinny enough. We've got a lot of work to do. Well, Our it's, kids. It's true because they've shown that like Utah County is like the number one place for plastic surgery in the nation. Yeah, And it's because they just feel like they're being judged and 
like you see a mother who has like 11 children which for mormons are is like oh that's that's, that's, that's great <laughs> you know like that you have so many kids and then they're like a size two and they kind of go well why why can't i be like that yeah so it's so true and and it's i think that's actually i think that's universal this there's a great quote by carl jung that says that which is most personal is most universal so this idea of feeling inadequate these ideas of having fear feeling insecure weak these are things that are fairly universal yeah. um let's go and and listen to another uh story put together by one of our producers do you know what you're going to be remembered for be careful it may not be exactly what you want it to be bryce tobin tells us how we decide what our legacy will be Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. As time passes on by, a society will be defined by what it decided to make important. Let's take the Roman Empire, for example. Towards the end there, they valued laziness, corruption, and having more money than each other. This is the kind of thing that will get you conquered by Visigoths, and then later on, someone will abuse your legacy and make a Holy Roman Empire, which Voltaire aptly summarized as being neither holy, nor Roman, nor an empire. So yeah, there's that. So what's really important for the generation older than mine? It seems that one of the more valued ideas is the monetization of anything that can be monetized. And it kind of makes sense. You guys are the products of an individualistic Western European heritage. And the generation before you is the Depression kids. The ones who really did scrape every penny out of every little thing. Because Ricketts was right around the corner. And Ricketts is no fun. Also, let's face it. A country doesn't become an economic superpower by wasting money and just giving things away all the time. But does anyone else feel like this has gotten out of hand? Let me give you some food for thought, like the parking meter. Who thought this was okay? It's like someone said, hey, you know that free thing that people like? Let's make people pay for it, and then let's punish them for not paying for it. Unfortunately, it has become the norm, but had I seen the first parking meter, you know I would have given it the opportunity to meet the front of my car. And I totally would have done it in the name of equality and human rights, and not my own selfishness. Things like this have led to the world we have today in which we get nickel and dimed for every little thing. And I get the feeling that everyone is just a little sick of it. Now let's come on back to today where we have the internet and the world is becoming more homogenous. There's less talk about us and them, or the communists and the capitalists, or west and east. We're even starting to feed off of each other, and we're taking the good facets of our differences and turning it into some world culture that hopefully will be awesome. How do I know this? Well, let's take a look at something very collectivistic that's becoming more common in the western world. This is doing things for the benefit of everyone else. The first one I'm going to point out is the survival of the illegal download sites. Legal Ethics aside, there is something to be said about the tenacity of these sites. It's kind of like a hydra. You cut off one head, two more take its place. Or how about a more legitimate example? There's YouTube. People just toss videos on that all the time. And if we enjoy them, the person may make some more videos. Or they may not. There's a way built in to make money off of these videos, but to have an impressive income, you need a tremendous amount of views. And in the same vein, YouTube is often used to listen to music. Want to know why? Because you can find the one song that you want, you can listen to it repeatedly, and you can pay nothing. Every now and then you have to watch the first five seconds of a commercial then it gives you the option to skip it and then we do skip it every time initially this was a giant problem for record companies they had to constantly put out requests to get these videos taken down but the people have spoken we want to listen to music and we don't want to pay you anything until we're good and ready so just enjoy the attention that we're giving you or at least that's the attitude that i see out there in the world So what's important to you? How do you want to be seen in a few hundred years? Because the people in that future world aren't going to care about your feelings. You get to decide what your legacy is going to be. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. So appreciate uh, 
Bryce Tobin, BT, the Bryce is right. Hey, Brycey, uh, values. Values determine your legacy. Is that your argument? That's pretty much what I'm saying is if, if it's important to you, you'll make a big enough deal about it and it'll stick around after you're dead. Whether you want it or not. Whether so, you want it or so not. So maybe that's the key, too, is making sure it's really important to you. If it really is important, it'll persist. Because like, I thought for sure when we bought our house that a big yard was important to me. And then when we had the house, I hate the yard. Not important. I hate it. But so you just parked I, your cars on it. So I parked all my cars on it. And if I die tomorrow, it's sticking around. It's, those cars are never going anywhere. Isn't that interesting? By the way, we gave the book away, so you can quit calling, for crying out loud. But we got a lot of callers. So what we're going to start doing is we really want to open up the calls to you so that you can start asking our guests some questions. So for tomorrow's show and the next shows, we're going to start asking, and uh, we'd love you. If you have comments or questions, we'll give you the number. You can call in, and you could uh, ask our guest anything specific to your needs. As well as just, you could always call in anytime you want. Our numbers, of course, are 801-422-0143. 801-422-0143. Okay, this is going to be weird. Are you ready for this? I'm going to just spring one on the team. What are we calling you guys again? Um, Vance Misfits. Yep, Misfits. Okay, you better I'll, get I'll a better. I'll with that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Concrete shirts. Isn't that weird? <laughs> what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, boy. Now, we already know what you're going to say, Rob, because you've got a bit coming up all about food. <laughs> well, I know, but uh, boy. What do you want to be remembered for? You're talking like people have like their name attached to a school or something? Well, maybe. Or just like when your grandkids get together or mm-hmm. uh, your friends and your neighbors get together at your wake. Well, you mean beyond well, – I mean – Sure, I want to be remembered as like yeah. being the cool grandpa who like took kids out for lunch. That's but like, cool. if you're talking big, like no, yeah. I don't think that matters. Okay, I mean, we could all go big because I want to. Be definitely, the... the grandpa who took you to lunch. The grandpa that took you to lunch. That's oh, cool. Yeah. BT, what about you? So I kind of have this weird desire to be the uncle that was kind of like a superhero. Oh, that's cool. Because I've known people who like have that. And so that's cool. Versus the weird uncle versus the weird. That nobody uncle, wants to go near or like, you know, ran around dressed like a superhero. Right. <laughs> but you, that's cool. So you want to be the one that influences that they all look up to like, man, Uncle Bryce is so cool. Dad, yeah. why aren't you like Uncle Bryce? Well, I mean, sure, in, I'd in be cool way. with that, but That's yeah. Cool. I have an Uncle Bryce. He's pretty cool. You do? Okay, He's an accountant. Well, uh, wow. <laughs> what about you, Maddie Sohn? Well, for me, this is kind of interesting because I was just at my grandpa's funeral on Sunday. So I think probably for me, I would like to be known for happy attitude. Yes. Being positive and uh, probably integrity think that those are really important. Those are good. See, notice you're going to principles. People always go back to principles. Skyboy. Um, probably, I just want to be known, I guess, be liked and be someone who's nice and easy to get along with. Hot. Hot. What's interesting is I look at all of you, you're already making it happen, apparently. You're all there. Hot. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Don't worry. Plenty of time to screw it up. Don't you, worry, Matt. You can, you can screw it up. It's, I, it's a long time before I die. I was hot, but then the weather got cold. So now, <laughs> cold. now you're cold. Mine is fast. It's interesting. When I look at my kids, when they come home from school, what they talk about is fast. Like, Dad, you know I'm the third fastest in the class? 
I used to do that too. Did you? I remember, yeah. But I was always the, fa- the fastest. Obviously. You were the fastest. Yeah. You were just so. trying to be not like, the humble. Third, the yeah. Not one. the third. Isn't it funny though that it's probably not about fast either? It's probably not about the richest. You didn't. Bryce doesn't want to be the richest, Uncle. I mean, I mean, I will be. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying I wouldn't be. I mean, I'm not afraid to be. It's not crucial. It's interesting. At twenty thousand dollars a year, he was the richest uncle. That is so <laughs> the cool. Only okay, so notice what matters most. I guess is really more about who we want to be, our being, than our having. Or it's some of it's our doing, I guess. But uh, it's our giving. It's our sharing. It's our loving. It's our serving. Good stuff, folks. Good stuff. It really is what matters most. We'll be back after this break to wrap up the show right here on the Matt Townsend Show, Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. American industries are relying on NASA inventions to compete in the global marketplace in surprising ways. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Pulaski, Tennessee is a tiny town with less than 9,000 people, but it is the home of Twin City Fans Claridge Company, which is gaining a global reputation thanks to a partnership with NASA. Claridge makes fans and blowers meant to move lots of air efficiently to ventilate tunnels. We're talking big tunnels for railroads and highways and mines. And their little hometown is now about to enter the huge European market with a secret weapon. The secret is an aluminum alloy, MSFC-398, invented by NASA's Marshall Space Center to make super light, super strong rocket motors. NASA then applied the alloy to making automobile engine blocks four times lighter than previous models. Claridge now uses the alloy to make their fans much smaller and more efficient, powerful, yet lighter, cheaper, and stronger than steel. They are certified to withstand a tunnel fire at over 750 degrees for more than two hours, giving people a better chance to survive. Now the small company from the small town is about to blow away their competition with a little advantage from NASA. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. What song changed my life? There are a lot of songs that have changed my life. It's a totally brutal question to try and answer. Every musician has that one song that changed their life. Join Tony Award winner Leia Salonga, American Idol finalist Brooke White, and more of your favorite artists as they explore their lives before and after they heard that one song that changed everything. Watch The Song That Changed My Life, Monday nights at 7.30 on BYU-TV. BYU alumni, Ron and Lynette Bybee. So me and some recently returned missionary buddies arrive at the dance at the Wilkinson Center. Through the crowd, I see this beautiful brunette smiling at me. The next week, I go to the library, fall asleep, and wake up to see her across the way smiling at me again. I don't even remember that one. The following week, I get this valentine. I bring it to her at the library. I drop it in front of her without saying a word. It said, really appreciate your smile. I called home immediately. So I eventually take her on a date to a fireside at the Smithfield House. At the end of the date, while walking down the hill back to her apartment, I said, He said, eternity's a long time, isn't it? (laughs) Chances are the relationships that changed your life started at BYU. Share your story at alumni.byu.edu slash update. 
Remember when. Remember why. BYU alumni connected for good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're wrapping up our show on what matters most here and uh, had the uh, incredible team moment as a, as a crew where they all got to tell us what matters most to them. You and know, we can call that the misfit moment. I know, but then it implies that you're misfits. Well. I mean, we know it's true, but we don't <laughs> no. need to talk about it. So we, I want something more positive like you're the healthy... Helpers, healthy helpers of our. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. We'll figure it out <laughs> off the radio. But uh, as we as we kind of wrap this up, do you ever wish lunch could last forever? Everyone shakes their head. Yes. And then you and Rob Sanders would have a lot in common. Throughout the show, we've been talking okay, about so, here, what really matters. This is so obvious understand. to me. It's food. Glorious food. If you really think about it, without food, there's not much else to live for. Let me ask you this. How long can you stay alive without food? A couple of days? I know Gandhi could go for weeks and weeks. And there's that month of Ramadan thing. And that's great. They're better people than me. Because when it comes to me, it never ends well if you decide to just stop eating. I know. I looked it up on the Internet. On Yahoo Answers, somebody wrote, I woke up this morning without eating. And I didn't eat dinner last night either. And I haven't eaten anything since yesterday afternoon. And now my head hurts and I don't feel good. I feel weird. The closest restaurant in my town is closed till 5 p.m. for dinner. And all I have at my house are granola bars and I don't want to eat them. It's a weird feeling and I have no energy. I'm just curious. How long can a person live without food? And the response he got to that? You need to eat, honestly, before you end up in the hospital. See, the Internet agrees with me. Eating is what really matters the most. For work or for pleasure. I mean, your lunch break is more than just a recess to help punctuate the day. I wish lunch could last forever. It's the best part of the work day. Even Jimmy Buffet gets it. The whole day one big afternoon. I mean, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> when you travel, it's really not about the hotel or the sites. It's about the restaurants you go to. are what we eat. Literally. I mean, one time I ate a chicken sandwich and it turned into part of my nose. What would have happened if I hadn't eaten that chicken sandwich? I don't know, but I'm sure glad I have my nose. Speaking for us guys, we're simple creatures. We just need food, sleep, and employment to be happy. Now, I used to live in this really noisy apartment complex. And I'd come to work grouchy because I didn't get enough sleep. And I remember one time I had to help out the morning show, and I really didn't get enough sleep. Well, I'm going to connect with somebody today if I talk about being in the garden. Rob, what about you? So tired, so grouchy. But I brought a bag of snacks to work, and munching on them picked me right up. Food! I'll have some 
clam chowder followed by and when it comes to employment too let's be honest don't you mentally associate your paycheck with food no paycheck no food you see in the end food is what really matters Good work, Robbie. Robbie Sanders, it's always about food. If we say anything on this team, it always comes back to food or bacon. I guess bacon's food. I, th- I think food's more... Not really bacon. That's so salty. There's so many better foods You don't like, there. but you're, you kind of eat healthy, but bacon is Bryce. Sorry, Rob, did you say the word salty or succulent? Because it sounded mm. like succulent to me. Well, maybe that's my own bias. Isn't it interesting that we can go from what matters most, which is you know changing the world... Being a great uncle, you know, stuff like that. And then we come to, you know, it's a great BLT, saves the day. Bryce would argue (laughs) that bacon changes the world. Well, you know, as someone who only has eaten some vanilla yogurt today, I will agree that food does change a lot. In fact, I could could go for a burrito right now. You know what? People that weren't here couldn't see this. This is why we need to film this. But when I put on some vanilla chapstick, Madison lit up like the food truck just came by. It was so funny. I could smell it, and I was like, where is that coming from? Where's I the thought ice that someone cream? had like treats or yeah, something. Yeah, where's so- the ice cream? You know what we're going to do right now? I'm going to tell you. We're going to have to have an ice cream break. And But my my, my wife's here, and so I she's never been here, so she'll have to go sit through our party for a minute. So if I got you some food, you'd be happy, right? Oh, yes. Okay, then this is what we're going to do. We're going to go have an ice cream party right now. We're going to leave the rest of you just loving life. Enjoy the song. Enjoy the life. From the Matt Townsend Show, we wish you the very best. Keep taking care of yourself. Remember what matters most. Hug your kids. And for crying out loud, go get some food in your belly, and everyone will be happy. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I've tried to cut these corners, try to take the easy way out. I kept on falling short of something. Travel the musical road of American history on Highway 89 Scenic Byway. With music from talented musicians from BYU campus and across the globe, Highway 89 brings you the best performances from classical to jazz and folk to rock. Tune in for a musical journey with Highway 89 at 10 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio.